0: Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and welcome back to the show. Once again, delighted to be with you. Today, we're going to take a look at the most expensive real estate that six inches that exist between our own ears. And with us today is a veteran of 25 years experience, uh, Shannon Robnett. And he has been involved from start to finish on over $350 million in construction projects, such as multifamily, professional office buildings, city halls, fire and police stations, schools, industrial projects, and many self-storage. Along with his knowledge, knowledgeable team, uh, Shannon Robnett Industries, Shannon is dedicated to sharing his expertise and delivering top-quality projects that bring numerous passive income streams to his syndicated partners. Shannon says a more intelligent investor creates a better investment market, and that certainly is a true saying. Shannon is an alumnus of real estate investing abundance, and you can tune into his previous visit by going to episode 23. So Shannon, take us into the show and tell us what mindset will set our trajectories so that we always focus on the good and not
1: the bad. Alan, thanks again for having me on the show. It's always great to be here with you and your listeners. You know, I heard it said the other day very, very clearly that, you know, if I gave you a million dollars today, you'd probably be really happy unless I told you that you had to spend that million dollars today because you were going to die tonight. And if you really look at what your day looks like, that is what you're given every day is a million dollars. And if we choose to, we can focus on the bad. We can focus on the fact that our car didn't start this morning. We can focus on the fact that our rent is late or that prices are going up or that we can't find chicken eggs. Or we can focus on the fact that we are alive We have the opportunity to make a difference. We have the opportunity to be of benefit and help to others in their journey. And when we look at life that way, it's amazing how much more gratitude we get out of life, how much more empowered we are, and how much happier we really are. And then if you're making decisions from a place of positivity, it always works out better, and you're able to come up with solutions that maybe are just there for you because of your mindset.
0: Well, that is so true. And I do an exercise with my students. It's called Three Good Things. And my students always go into this exercise thinking, oh, this is absolute foolishness, just a waste of time focusing on the positive when there's so much bad in my life. And then by doing the exercise just by just for seven days, they begin to realize that their mindset has been on the negative and they forget. Yeah. The positives in their life, there. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Positivity makes a big difference, although it is not the only thing that makes a difference in our
1: lives. But well, and the other thing, too, Alan, how many successful people do you know that have a negative outlook on life? You know, the reality is, an entrepreneur by trade is there to solve problems, they're there to look at things from a different angle to see, well, the fact that maybe this is a pile of horse poop, but in there, there's a pony somewhere. And if you're constantly negative, you're going to cheat yourself out of more good deals and more opportunities than you would ever hope to find in your life, just because your negative mindset is going to prevent you from seeing the solution that could exist.
0: Exactly. So why should we be surprised if we are focusing on the problem all the time? Why are we surprised that we can never find a solution?
1: Well, I think we always think that we're right. So if we're focused on the negative, we think that that's what everybody in the universe is focused on. And then you run across that guy who's just nothing but smiles today. And he's, you know, he's got sunshine and lemonade coming out his ears and you run into him and all of a sudden you realize, maybe I don't have the right thought process, mindset and perspective. And it's amazing what happens when we realize that we're not the center of the world, that our mindset and attitude can and probably should be adjusted upward. And then you start to see what you couldn't see before, simply because you're in the right mindset to see it.
0: Exactly. And, you know, this is something, I mean, I just have to constantly check myself on this. And I don't know if everyone has this issue, but it's so easy to look at the things that are going wrong and the problems and forget that there are solutions out there. I mean, just today I was having problems with the database and, and get I just get so pissed off. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and cause you know, it's like, why, you know, this takes my time. This takes my energy to figure out these problems and these issues. And it's like, why are, why are they even there? And I solved the problem and it's like, it wasn't that big a deal, (laughs) but
1: yet yet the other side of that is when your energy is being consumed by the negative, you know, it's funny how if you see a positive person, they, they rarely get tired. They they always seem to have boundless energy and they they always seem to be happy that they're alive. And when you see a negative person, they're always tired. They're always run down. It's like the negative energy in the universe, whatever you want to call it, just consumes what you have. And when you're done at the end of the day, you have less to give the world. You have less that comes out of your life. You're less productive. All of those things just because of where you're focused and how your energy is. So if you look at that and go out of that comes everything else I have, I'm giving less to my employer. I'm giving less to my investment life. I'm, I'm giving less to my property management company. I'm giving less to everything that I do. How could I possibly be at the top of my game?
0: Exactly. Well, Shannon, you've been doing construction for a long time. And you say that there is no substitute for experience. And in conjunction with that, there is no substitute for good underwriting. So tell us about that.
1: You know, I think the last 24 months tell us everything we need to know about that. There's a lot of people out there who didn't understand the anomaly of having the lowest interest rates in 5000 years or the you know the the cap rates that things were trading at and and beginning to think that that was normal and they were on a buying spree and now they've got assets that aren't performing they've got spreadsheets that were as we call them pencil whipped you know, you you sat there and you drank the Kool Aid and you, you adjusted this and you adjusted that. Next thing you know, you're nowhere close to reality. But man, your return sure is good. But you don't understand where you're off. You know, you don't understand that if you bought it at a three cap and you're planning on selling it at a three cap in five years, you're probably not going to achieve that. But you don't know that because you don't have the experience. Mm-hmm. And you've got these teams that have gotten very good at, you know, putting together the pro forma, putting together the the spreadsheet, the underwriting to, that they see. That doesn't reflect reality. And then you see people, you know, like my friend, Ken McElroy, who, you know, has a $2 billion uh, portfolio that only bought two assets last year. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Because there was only two worth buying. And we've done that uh in the last 12 months. We haven't taken down near as much as we have in previous years, but we're looking ahead at 23 and 24 being very good years for acquisition. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of people that didn't understand what historic norms were, what trends are, how to protect yourself, that cash flow will solve a lot of problems. Just ask my children. It solves most of their problem. My cash flow <laughs> does, right? <laughs> but you know, there's people that that have done that but they didn't have the experience to get there and they've gotten you know a lot of them have gotten lucky they had a great 21 they had a good 22 they had some amazing exits that had everything to do with somebody else buying their you know accelerated cash flow and all those kinds of things but but looking at historic norms and where things are at you really need to apply that lens to things and go man what could happen if interest rates go to 9 where are we really going to see cap rates at and what should we be projecting and what does real cash flow look like, and what about locking in long-term debt instead of taking that floater, and all of those things that that, that experience has taught me—not because I got it right the first time, but because I I whacked my head on that bar and I came around that blind corner too fast, and I didn't lock in my interest rate that one time, and you know, just all those things that you learn through you know almost thirty years of of being in real estate. Yeah.
0: Well, I know it makes a difference. I sure had uh, some hard knocks and hard lessons in 2008, and I certainly do things differently today than I did prior to that. As long as everything is, values are increasing. It's a nice place to be in real estate, but when they take a downturn, you can certainly have some really, really hard knocks. Where do you see things going? I, we were just in some discussions with a seller uh, just a few weeks ago, and they this was a self-storage unit. They were expecting a price of about $1.3 million for this property, and I did the underwriting, and I came in at 600 Hundred and fifty thousand, and I'm going. Well, God, there must be something wrong with my underwriting. So I went to four other experts in the field of uh, self-storage and just asked them to do their own underwriting. And I didn't. I, and all I did was give them the T12 and the rent rolls. And sure enough, they came in with the same underwriting that I came into. So that's the offer I made. And of course, the the seller was not at all interested in that. So I guess my question in this is, you think that 2003 and 4 are going to be good buying opportunities, but it seems to me that sellers still have the mindset of 2022. What's it going to take for them to realize that we're not in 22 anymore?
1: Well, Alan, it's going to be the same thing that that gets all of us to change, and that's pain. None of us voluntarily adjust our price down, right? All of us have some reason for that. And, you know, one of the things that that I see with with what you did likely was, you know, price in, current interest rates, that takes the cash flow down quite a bit. Then everybody's learning this term, Alan, D S C R. Everybody never heard it before because at two percent interest rate or three percent interest rate, you cash flow like a demon, right? It's no big deal. DSCR is not part of the question, but when you're starting to get into the sixes and sevens with interest rate, you know we're returning to historic norms, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is cap rates should trade at two percent, one and a half to two percent over interest rates, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at where we're trending on multifamily, interest rates are at five, five and a half. On agency product, that means you should be looking at seven caps on your apartments. And we're still trading sub five because of a supply and demand issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but a lot of people are learning the lesson that cash flow has to be there. This this whole we saw Alan, hey, we did five of these units and we proved the model. That you can, you know, spend ten grand and you can you can get them up three hundred bucks and this is going to work. And then people rushed out and they they bought it based on that expected cash flow. They gave it up because they wanted the deal. And there's always that that FOMO that always leads the last people to be the ones that get stuck because they didn't do the kind of things that really good underwriters do. And Alan, as you know, if there's not cash flow in the deal, it's really hard to make the deal work. I don't know too many people that like to buy real estate so they could take and send their paycheck to their real estate investment. And so we're just we're just seeing that I think we're going to go back to historic norms. And if you're in the game and you've been in the game three or four years, go back and 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 call a uh, call your broker and ask for somebody in the office that's got twenty years of experience and ask them what cap rates were in ten and eleven and. 2002 and 2004, and ask him where interest rates were, or go to the same place I tell my kids to go. Google it; he'll raise you. You know, he'll give you the right answer. But you can get your information, and you can do your own education, and and make sure that what you're offering is. Adequate, and you're not getting into a situation where you're overpaying. I've got a I've got a decision to make today. We've got something that that they they feel is a six cap. Six cap works with some assumable debt, but we're looking at other product in the market at a seven cap, and it's similar product. And you just have to make the decision of are we going to do this or are we going to do that. So it, it it really has become, and it always does. You know, give it about thirty six months, and buyers the buyers market fills up, and it becomes a seller's market, and. You know, I think we're kind of in that transition. I don't know if we're ever going to get enough product in the next five years to make it a true seller's market, but it's definitely shifted. You're not nine guys that are 15 guys at a table going to a best and final.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a lot of it that has been actually driving the market, particularly in multifamily and, and self storage, has been the entrance of institutional investors. Who, well, they're more they're satisfied with uh, cash flows of three and four percent, or or even less than that. Do you see this trend changing? Uh, are institutional investors going to go elsewhere, or are they still going to be? A part of the market that is going to be uh, something that's going to have to really be considered.
1: I think with interest rates changing, I think institutional investors are really going to throttle back on their buying. They're going to be very selective. You know, when you're down near 3% interest, Alan, you can solve a lot of problems with that additional cash flow, that additional 3% that you used to be giving to the bank. Right uh, on your interest payment, and a lot of people came in and they locked in a lot of long term debt that puts them in a position that keeps them happy for a while. Uh, there's those that didn't lock in the long term debt that are having interest rates change. They're having, you know, they're they're on floating rate debt. I think they're going to become buying opportunities and. But I don't think anybody is in as much of a hurry as they were in 21 to buy anything. Uh, In 21, everybody was buying everything and they were, you know, rushing headlong down the hallway. Now we've got some, you know, I just want to call it some um, prudence coming into the market. And people are going, well, you know, maybe interest rates are going to go up. And if they go up, then it affects me this way. And they're starting to have some of those thought processes and conversations. And I think that that is ultimately going to spill over. You know, we saw BlackRock write off a trillion dollars worth of their real estate portfolio because of some of the purchases that they had done, right? Mm -hmm. And when you see big guys like that, not a trillion, sorry, uh, uh, it was several billion dollars in their real estate portfolio. When you see guys like that, that got overzealous, we saw that a couple of years ago with Zillow when they got overzealous and and things like that just happen. You know, Mm -hmm. then you see institutional guys kind of throttle back on it. And so I think it's going to be a great buying opportunity for those that are well-positioned and those that are picky, those that understand what their model is and they really understand what they're going after, I think it'll be a very easy market to see where the deals are at.
0: Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. You're in You're in Boise and Boise has had a really huge run uh essentially really I don't know the last 3 to 5 years here what do you see happening in Boise
1: we've seen a lot of growth and you know we're like the rest of the nation we've seen our rents kind of trend backwards 2 and 3% but after double digit rent growth for 5 or 6 years it's it's okay nobody gets mad at tesla stock dropping by 5% in a week Why are we upset that interest rates or that, that, uh, rent growth has? Stopped going nuclear and and everything, but we still find ourselves as one of the cheapest places in the nation to live with good jobs, incredible outdoor opportunities, and it's a wonderful place to raise a family. So we still see net migration headed our way, and those things are definitely good for us. We still see you know st- we, we we've seen an uptick in vacancy, but we're still not above five percent. Which again, most people look at it and go, "Oh my gosh, there's been a three percent increase in vacancy." Well, a three percent. Increase in vacancy from two percent is still well within the industry industry norms. Mm-hmm. And I think that that you're going to see tertiary markets stay strong. You're seeing a, a vacation out of uh, California and New York in very strong ways. And those people are going to markets that have something to offer. So I think tertiary markets still have a lot to offer. And Boise is one of those beautiful ones.
0: Yeah, it is It is a, a wonderful place to be. There's a lot of things happening in the world. Uh, the U.S. has, since World War II, has been in a position to really dominate the world economically and and militarily since 2000 the world has changed considerably and china has taken a huge market share of the economy and they seem to be on quite a trajectory to continue that and then there's a lot of concern about what's going to happen in terms of War? Is there going to be a war with China? What's that's going to do? How's that going to play out? What are your perceptions on all of that?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because we've we've been dealing with supply chain issues that came that that got started in covid but you know it's interesting a lot of people overlook the fact that number one, China's population is the oldest it's ever been in history as as a demographic. it's also they lost eight hundred and fifty thousand people last year. They're down for the first time in 60 years they've lost population hmm. and that population is on a downward trend and will be, For the foreseeable future, at least the next 25 years, unless they and and they're offering bonuses over there for a third child because they understand their populations in decline. Well, if you simply take that declining population and apply it to the workforce that we as Americans have victimized, in my opinion, uh, the cheap child labor and all the things, you know, we love our our cheap Apple iPhones and things like that and Samsung Mm. and all the other products that we love to get from there. But if they've got a declining population, that means they've got a declining workforce. If they've got a declining workforce, it means their outputs are going down. And unless they automate, which is not something China has liked to do because of the cheap labor that they have, I think you're going to see supply-side constraint continue for a much longer period of time than we would like. And when we see that, we're going to have Uh, problems with just being able to get switchgear, getting, you know, electrical outlets and lights and cabinets and things like that. And then it brings you to the question of, are they going to do what the Japanese did and start something before they lose another million people next year and their military starts to come down and their populations become weaker and weaker? I mean, now is, I mean, When we look at historically why Japanese attacked at Pearl Harbor, they did it because the war was coming to them. They just needed to start it on their terms and and strike the first blow. Maybe that's where Mm -hmm. China comes from. Either way, I think that what we see for goods and services and trade that we see with China now is going to be our norm for the next three to five years.
0: Well, what is vertical equity?
1: Vertical equity is our fundraising arm. So I have uh, really four companies. I've got Shannon Robden Industries is our umbrella company, but vertical equity is what we use when we raise capital, when we reach out to investors, when we have that relationship. We also have executive management services that does our property management, as well as Phoenix Commercial Construction, which does all of the construction. So I like to keep everything in its own instead of throwing everything in one big pot of soup because it keeps the book straight. It keeps the accounting straight. It keeps the people straight. Straight, and hopefully, in all of that, it keeps me straight. <laughs>
0: okay. Share with us, uh, Shannon, how it is that we can get in touch with you to take advantage of your years of experience and maybe even find avenues for investing.
1: You know, if you just go to Shannonrobnet.com, you can find me there. We've got all of our material there. You can click straight into my calendar, book a chat with me. I'd love to talk with you, talk about how your investing thesis might correlate with what we're doing and see if there's an opportunity to work together. But easiest way is just Shannonrobnet.com.
0: Well, Shannon, I think we all are aware of all the many tax advantages for active real estate investors. Tell us about the opportunities for tax advantages for passive investors.
1: You know, the reality is there's quite a few. And I think that a lot of people fail to understand that one of the most important things that they need to consider when they're doing investing is what are the tax advantages. You know, when you look at the passive investor side of things, there are things that you can take advantage of as far as you know depreciation. There are, you know, other ways that you can do that. Oil and gas is a great one to be passive on because it allows you certain write offs, but not everybody wants to be full time in real estate and get that designation. But I think that one of the things that people fail to see is there are other things that they can do, whether it's section 179 that allows them to convert active income into passive you know, gains. We do that with a flight school. So we buy airplanes, put them into service. I know a buddy of mine does that with a Turo app and writes off exotic sports cars. So you're able to take that against your active income. But I think that you know the first thing that people need to do is they need to come up with a tax strategy that really works for them That really gets them the most tax advantaged way to make that investment so that they're able to take advantage of that and be able to be protected because man, Uncle Sam's taking the biggest slice out of your life of anyone.
0: Well, Shannon, the not all tax advisors are equal. And so you're talking about a number of different industries. And I suspect that each of those industries have their own specialists. How do you go about finding an advisor who can advise you on all of these tax issues?
1: Well, Alan, that's a great point. You know, most people go to their accountants for their tax advice. And they go to their accountant about this time of the year, February, March. The problem is the cake's already baked. So you can't change the recipe. The other thing is accountants put things in boxes. Accountants usually are very organized people. What most people fail to have is a tax advisor. And they're very, very different either a tax advisor or a tax strategist will sit down and we'll look at what you do and how you do it. And we'll see that the changes that can be made in your daily life that will get you to the place that will provide the results. But you have to plan that ahead instead of going in just to your accountant and going, hey, how come you can't save me any money? Well, the recipe is already added. Everything's done. The only thing I can do is arrange it. But most people fail to find tax strategists. And I if you want send me an email I've got a couple of really great tax strategists that all they do they don't do accounting they don't want to replace your accountant they like sleeping this time of year where you know accountants are working 80 hours a week to get everybody's stuff done but they sit down and they strategically plan so that you can make sure that you are able to get where you need to go in a timely fashion and in a way that allows you to make sure that you're when you get there you you've got an effective tax rate that you're that you're happy with
0: And viewers and listeners, we will have
1: Shannon's email address so you can
0: shoot him that email and get those recommendations. Well, Shannon, it's been a pleasure being with you once again. Always good to talk to someone with the experience that you have under your belt. And uh, it's good to hear that there are positive things on the horizon. So thank you so much, Shannon.
1: Alan, it's great to be here again.
0: Enlightened investors, don't go yet. I have just a couple of quick requests. You know the drill, like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience, so please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital,
1: a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments.